Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Janet Cristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. So I'm really excited for today's guest, Pearl Waldorf, who is a local therapist here in the Portland community. Welcome, Pearl. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and we should probably let you all know, listeners, that Pearl and I met 10 years ago now. Probably even more. So yeah. when Pearl and I met, Pearl was not a therapist yet. I don't even know if you had conceived of that idea yet. No. And I was just a toddler here at the Dougie Center. But now we are both full-fledged adults. <laughs> Pearl's <laughs> been working in her counseling practice for... I guess I'm coming up on six years. Six years? Yeah. I don't know where the last three went. Well, I'm glad you're <laughs> here. <laughs> and Pearl and I have been talking a little bit about what it would be like to do an episode bridging both... Pearl's personal experience with grief and also her professional work and what she sees when clients come through the door, whether they come in to talk about grief or they come in to talk about something else that mm -hmm. in some way connects back to grief. So thanks, Pearl. I'm really excited to hear yeah. kind of your take on these things. Oh, thanks, Jana. And before we dive into all the professional stuff, why don't we just start with that personal experience of grief? I mean, mm -hmm. we've known each other for 10 years, and I think you and I have talked about the death that you've experienced maybe twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's just a really, it's a telling thing that for me, my grieving process has been so much about a kind of disconnecting from it. And it's interesting because the timing of this interview really coincides with some of my own I think, capacity to actually feel the loss. Mm. And that's exciting in a strange way. Not that I judge my experience um, from the past. My mother died um, when I was in my mid-30s. And I, I didn't know it then. I thought that I was fine. And I remember part of the story that I told and told myself was like, oh, I've come to peace with this. My mother's life was full of, of good contribution. She lived fully. And that's a really good story. <laughs> How do you feel about that story now? Well, it's all true. It's all true. And what I'm aware of now, and I'm aware of it through my own work my personal work that I've done as part of my work to be a professional therapist. But I'm aware that part of what I was doing was telling a nice story so that I could distance from my grieving process. Was it also a, a distancing from your life with your mother? Did that happen as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you're you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of jumped into this new existence without my mom and adjusted quite quickly. 
and that's what I've I've done my whole life. I've figured out how to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I can see that. And that's a very um, normal way to grieve. So almost in a sense, you're coming to a new place in engaging with your grief. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I really appreciate the way you talked about that because so often folks will call us or we'll get an email and say, you know, I I never grieved my mom's death. I've been in denial this whole time. Mm -hmm. And those words seem so harsh, Mm. like they've done something wrong. Right. And that if only they had grieved more sooner, maybe they wouldn't feel the way they feel now. But I appreciate it seems like what you're talking about is like as you've evolved as a person, you've developed a capacity to work with those feelings and be present with them in a way that maybe you just for whatever reason weren't in a place where that was going to happen. Oh, I love I love you reflecting that because it really speaks to um, what I'm aspiring to in my work, which is to really just be with people right where they are and also to trust that we are doing the very best that we can. We're we're doing more than the best we can. We're doing what's right for us at the time. And at the time, that really worked for me. (laughs) I really just kind of needed to jump over and get on with my being in the world. And how lovely to think it's not that there was something incorrect about that strategy of adaption Mm -hmm. in the moment as much as that's what got you to where you are now, where now you can move forward and look into that grief in a little bit different way. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice really wanting to say too that I don't want to make it sound all pretty, right? Like it's been a process for me to kind of, I guess, make room for myself, be Mm -hmm. gentle with myself. I don't know why, but that feels important to name too. Well, it's so vital, right? We don't want to get caught in that trap of trying to make grief look pretty in any way. <laughs> you know, right. We're not just going to like repaint the walls and call it good. Right. Oh, yeah. Let's do that work together. <laughs> that feels so important. The work that you do with your clients is really centered around the idea of attachment. And I know attachment theory might be, uh, you know, a term that's starting to get a little bit more familiar out in the world. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what does that mean to work with folks from an attachment place or attachment lens or however you might define it? Yeah, it's, it's core from my perspective. I mean, attachment theory, we could sit and I could give you the textbook, right? But what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about attachment is that in the first few years of our lives, our brains are forming and all of the habituated ways that we engage, not only in our relationships, but in the world are being formed. And those early relationships have a great deal of impact on the ways that we experience everything. When I work with clients, I start to get curious about how they they engage um, in the world and the ways um, that maybe at one time, you know, early in their lives were essential 
to survive <laughs> in their upbringing. It's, and that makes it sound kind of dramatic because, you know, I did more than survive in my childhood and, and most of my clients did more than survive in their, in their childhoods. We, we come up with these ways of staying connected to the adults in our lives who are there to care for us. And, you know, there's in the sort of theoretical parlance, right? We've got anxious attachment and we have avoidant attachment and we have secure attachment. And the notions there are if I'm moving through the world and I find myself feeling anxious and concerned about what's happening around me a lot of the time, we can sort of trace it back to those early relationships. Can mm-hmm. somebody be all three? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, actually, I love I love that you're saying that, Jana, because I when I'm working with my clients, I uh, the popular literature talks about styles, and I kind of think that's 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 not correct. We move in and out of attachment states. Mm. Yeah, much more fluid that way. Absolutely. And all all of us have access to a secure state. Somehow we found a way, you know, to feel secure. For some of us, that might have been nature, right? Or our pet. But there's security there. So there's a secure attachment um, that's accessible to all of us. Then on top of that, depending on how those other primary relationships were were set up and, and influenced us, we, we may move in, in and out of an anxious or an avoidance state. Mm. So how, so then grief happens. Yeah. Someone who's coming into your office, they may have a primary way that they experience the world. They may have uh, times that they veer off in these other directions and then someone really important in their life dies. Maybe it was their primary attachment figure. Maybe it was someone they have a close attachment to that's in some way sparking a lot of remembrance of that primary attachment. What does that look like? I know we're saying a lot of terms right now. So what does that look like when someone just comes into your office and has had a grief experience? Yeah, there's a lot there. It it looks different for every single person who walks in the door. In the context of attachment, what I would say is in a way like my capacity currently to actually feel the pain and the loss that's like that's a product of security that I've earned right a secure base I can actually stand solidly and feel that and know that I'm going to come back to center come back to equilibrium in the cases of of anxious attachment or avoidant actually the body may really start to to feel a lot of of things like maybe panic attacks mm. per se and and the person may not necessarily be clear about what's going on there so like the panic attack which i've heard a lot of people have come to our groups with like that was the first thing they started to notice yeah so that can almost be uh like a dashboard light goes off an indicator definitely yeah that's a great way to put it um Grief is a very um, embedded human response. Earlier you were sharing your definition of grief, which I hope you'll share again with with, with the listeners. Um, I'll share it right now just so we don't have to go back to it. So yeah. 
I mean, for us at the Dougie Center, we always think of grief as being a totally natural and normal response to any change, whether those are changes that are socially sanctioned as positive, perhaps like getting married or having a child or graduating, there can still be grief that comes with Mm -hmm. that transition. And then also grief associated with socially sanctioned or maybe more stereotypical negative events of the death of somebody or Mm -hmm. the loss of a job or the end of a relationship. Yeah, that's such a, that's, that to me, that definition is really grounded in the physiological aspect of what I think of when I think of a grief response. Like what's going on in the body? Yes, there's distress. There's physiological distress when we experience any kind of loss, like you're saying. Um, And depending on our experiences early on and whether we're able to, to experience loss in a secure way or whether it touches aspects of ourselves that we don't, that we haven't quite, we don't have a lot of contact with yet. Things get real big inside and confused inside. You know, when you ask maybe what does it look like or how do I respond to a client when they walk into my door? First of all, what it looks like is a thousand different ways. But second of all, there's a way that I'm helping my clients to kind of sort all of these different layers that are being touched or that are being activated through an experience of loss. A lot of people will say, I don't, I don't recognize myself in this experience. Yeah, that's what happens when we're maybe operating in an insecure attachment state. We're not fully integrated, right? And so something's going to show up out of nowhere that we didn't know was going on at all. It can be very confusing. So I'm helping my clients. I'm often just helping my clients get clear about what they know. What do you know about what's happened here? And the parts that, that, that you don't know, like, let's, let's just notice they're happening, make room for them, and it's okay that we don't know. And as it feels right to go towards those things, we can go towards those things. When you talk about, like, what do we know and what, what do we not know, is there an example, not like giving my client confidentiality, but just to mm-hmm. put it into, or maybe an example from your own experience of your mom yeah. dying? What did you know and what did you not know? If I had had therapeutic support grounded in this, in this way of thinking, like what, what, what do I know? I think what I know, what I knew was just what an amazing person my mom was. I could, I could really hold that. I could, I could engage with that. There were all kinds of other layers and, you know, I'm still uncovering them. <laughs> we therapists, we're uncovering for Always. a long time. <laughs> but, um, you know, I knew that she was amazing. And I could just, you know, bask in that and, and celebrate that. And that, like, that's good. That's, that's good to just, to just be with what makes sense at the time. You know, other other pieces that probably didn't make sense or that I couldn't really know was like, oh, my God, she's gone. Mm. <laughs> like just the reality of that. Yeah. 
finality. Yeah, it was I really I couldn't know that at the time. I couldn't let myself know that. And so, you know, the way that I did my thing was I just celebrated her and had a nice little compartment for the my for, mom is gone and never coming back and put yeah. a lock on it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That compartment was just kind of shut. It's just starting to open along with some other compartments that, you know, I want, I want to name, you know, this, 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 I've been struggling with words lately. (laughs) Great time to come do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like the debt, like, like that words don't capture our experience. And so, you know, this word grief, I love your definition. I love the Dougie Center definition because it starts to get at all of the different ways and and meanings and pieces to it but like when I think of grief it's like oh you know I'm I'm walking around and I'm really sad and I'm mourning that's like maybe one one sixteenth of it right definition of grief I mean there's sadness for some people but for a lot of people there's anger rage guilt regret shame panic attacks sleeplessness can't remember anything I mean it just goes on right Right. Oh, that's so relieving just to hear that there are all of these different ways, right, of experiencing it. I see sadness in my office. I see mourning in my office, but not as much as I see a lot of that other stuff, Mm -hmm. right? All of the other ways that we're responding. And maybe, you know, part of what I'm helping my clients do too is like, it's okay that you're angry, you know, rather than trying to hide it or make it into something that it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's my entire job. I'm a professional. It's okay. <laughs> like, it makes sense that you would be experiencing these different pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as we go into this direction of thinking about what can, how grief can be stereotyped in some way, which mm-hmm. can feel really limiting for the people who are experiencing the grief. Mm-hmm. I wonder too about how relationships can get stereotyped. You know, we think of someone's grieving, so they must have had this amazing, perfect relationship with the person who died. And, and I, I'm venturing, I guess, that a lot of the people who you work with maybe had more complex, layered relationships with a person who died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that really does begin to touch on the attachment material, right? Like someone who has spent their their life favoring anxious attachment states. There, there's going to be a lot of upset, and and probably our bodies physiologically. You know, when when our bodies are are activated, we might do a lot of crying, but maybe we're angry at the parent and the way that the last interaction with them went or something, right? It's going to look like one thing, but it's going to be about something very different inside. And a a person who has maybe favored avoidant attachment states, kind of mm, dismissing relationship in a certain way or, or not really being connected a lot of the time, they might look like they're fine, like nothing's, there's no problem. But they are desperately, uh, they're in desperate pain. 
So if they're fine, what would they come to you for? Mm. Most of those folks who maybe have have lost a parent, they've come to me for other reasons. And the grieving process might provide a kind of window into emotional experience that they've been disconnected from. But some of, you know, what, what, what would folks that are on the avoidance side of the spectrum come to me for therapy for? Feeling lonely, feeling disconnected in their lives. But grief, grief is, is very much a part of every single client of mine's experience. It seems kind of wild that, you know, everyone has had some type of loss in their life and everyone has had some engagement, whether very brief or uh, long-term with the idea of grief and that experience. And yet most people seem so confused when it happens Mm -hmm. and that's no fault of theirs. It's just that it seems like grief does get so stereotypically uh, explained or portrayed and so it's really helpful to be thinking about how it can show up in these different ways so people can be like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the nerdy nerdy um, researchers that I've so enjoyed learning about some of these, like some of the physiological aspects of, of, of experiences of being human is this gentleman named uh, Yak Pong Sep. And... What, what he, the way he talks about grief is that it's this very natural, it's, a, it's an ingrained natural mechanism in our bodies to tell us that we need something. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, <laughs> um, but that's my takeaway from it because our bodies get upset when we're disconnected from that primary caregiver that upset, that little, little ones when mom isn't there. It's, it's distressing. Grief comes in and says, hey, I need something. Right, and then going back to that idea of wrestling with the reality of the death of someone is for, you know, our relationship with the person who died is so unique. That person met a unique set of needs within us. Right. Grief occurs, I need something, and then there's the idea that the the person I always got that need met by isn't here in the physical form. Mm. Now what am I going to do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I hear you say that, I go back to attachment states and, and the ones that we favor. And, and, you know, I imagine that you have folks come to your, your groups who are just clinging to people around them. And, and that would be more of an anxious response. And, it, and, and again, clinging is actually a very healthy, natural response um, when we're not getting something that we need, as opposed to, you know, folks that kind of mosey in and they're, you know, distancing and they're, they're okay in a way, I, you know, all these different ways that folks are going to be attempting to uh, fill that void. Their attachment strategy is going to come in and dictate the way that they're able to get their needs met Mm -hmm. and to maybe reorient to this new world where Mm -hmm. this primary attachment person is not here in their physical form so it sounds like a lot of the work that you're doing is helping people recognize that and then learn to work within that 
and maybe make more intentional choices about getting those needs met. Definitely. Yeah, I should hire you. <laughs> <laughs> Write that up from my website. <laughs> Well, Pearl, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot just in our friend life about these things, but it's really nice to just really focus in on the grief and see what the parallels are between the work that you're doing in individual counseling and the work that we're doing here in a peer support setting. So mm. I'm grateful you're in the community so we can refer people to you. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Jana. I, I'm so happy the Dougie Center is a resource that I can share with my clients. All right. Well, thanks again, Pearl. Appreciate talking with you today. Thank you. And thanks everyone out there for listening in to our episode. If you are new to Grief Out Loud, you can find all of our past episodes on our website, dougy.org or Stitcher, Apple Podcast, basically however you find your podcasts. If you're a listener out there and you have an idea for an episode you'd like us to do, we're always open to hearing about new topics. You can email us at help at dougie.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.